The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Okay, so... That is amazing. You guys are such a huge blessing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring up uh, Donnie. Donnie's going first. Pastor Donnie. <laughs> um, so we're going to bring up Donnie, and I just want to say real quick, um, they're going to talk about knowing Jesus through our weakness. And um, I do know that for them, um, that they are some of the most vulnerable people and transparent. And when you're around people who are transparent, it makes you feel like you're not alone. It makes you feel like you're not the only person who struggles or um, thinks different thoughts. And so um, they're definitely the real deal. They're genuine and they're full of faith. And so just listen to their word today. It's going to be encouraging. And uh, thank you. All right. Woo. Man, can we give it up for the worship team? I'm, I'm kind of partial because I'm part of these guys, but if you guys knew how much time the guys we spend, you know, on Telegram and everything, all the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's crazy, and sound guys and everything, and poor Josh, he's been having to try to fix, we had some issues with these lights, that's why we had to leave all the house lights on today. So Josh is running around trying to fix everything, and just problem after problem after problem start happening, so we're like, ah, screw it, we'll fix it later, we'll just do it, so... Anyways, so this morning, we're going to be digging into knowing Jesus through our weakness, and uh, I've got a few questions for you guys. Um, now, for me, I'm kind of a loud guy, if you can tell, I'm like holding this thing down here, because if it's way up here, it's like, it's going to blow your ears out. So anyways, I'm going to ask you guys some questions. I want you just to lift your hands or go, yeah, that's me, yeah, 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 you know, we're going to be a little loud, so everybody kind of shake it off a little bit. Shake it off, everybody go like this with your arms. Come on, Heidi, there you go, all right. All right, here we go. Question number one. Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Yes. Okay, good. Do you believe, number two, do you believe that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars? I don't hear the youth over here. This is a little crazy. Okay, youth, this is your question. Do you believe that God created all creation, including you and me? Yes. Okay, there we go. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Okay. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit lives in you and is your comforter, your guide, and the one whispering in your ear? Yeah, okay, there we go. All right, next one. Do you believe that God wants to use people to do great things for him? All right, last question. Do you believe that God wants to use you to do great things for him. Okay, that was a lot louder than I thought it was going to be. That's great. Awesome. So the reason why I'm bringing up all these do you believe, do you believe, do you believe is because sometimes with our weaknesses, we tend to believe we don't have any faith to do what God wants us to do. You know, and sometimes when we look at all these things like, God, I believe you're the God of the heavens and the earth. I believe that you created everything. I believe that you have great things in store for other people. It's really easy to have faith for those things. You know, so like you look at Pastor Andy, who's not here. 
Anyways, so Pastor Andy, you know, we believe that God's going to do great things through Andy. We're like, people are going to get saved. People are going to get touched. People are going to be befriended. People are going to get to know Jesus. We look at Kyle. And he just got a haircut too, by the way. It looks really good. So anyway, so you look at Kyle and you go, he's a gentle giant. He gets around people and everybody gets blessed. He's really uncomfortable right now because he doesn't like me doing this to him. But he loves people and everybody knows that if you get around Kyle, it's going to be okay. You know, you look at Nicole. Everybody knows if I get around Nicole, I am not going to be in a bad mood by the time I'm done. Because you get around Nicole, she's always smiling. No matter what she's going through, somehow, some way, people walk away from Nicole being blessed. So it's easy for us to go, I'm going to go around Nicole because I need to feel that way. Same thing with Jen Jensen. I'm looking for Jen. Okay, everybody knows Jen. Jen's got a smile that doesn't quit. And it's the same thing. You get around Jen and you just feel completely loved. You know, same thing with like Cammy over here. Okay, it's easy to believe that God is going to do great things in Cammie because you look at her work ethic. You look how much she presses in, how much she's really digging into Jesus right now. And it's easy for us to believe those things about other people. So what we're going to do, if you've got your Bibles, I don't have a verse up there on the screen. So um, if you have your Bibles on your phone, just wave your phone at me. I was going to say, wait, wow, there's actually Bibles. Holy cow. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) All right, so Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1, and we're actually only going to do verse 1. It says, now faith is confidence, someone say confidence, in what we hope for and assurance, someone say assurance, about what we do not see. Let me read that again. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. You know, and a reason I'm bringing these up is because in order to step out in our weaknesses, we've got to have faith. We've got to have a, a core belief that God is who he says he is. So based out of what everything that everybody in this room just said, we believe in a God that we cannot see. We believe that there's a place called heaven that we cannot go on vacation right now but we know it's there and ready for us. We believe in a guy that 2,000 years ago died on a cross for our sins and rose again. We believe that there's this thing called the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us and that speaks to us and teaches us and guides us and that it's not our own conscience. So to me, that takes a lot of faith, right? That takes a lot of faith. If you think about it, we're saying that we believe in something we do not see. We don't see God sitting right here, but we believe that he exists. We don't see Jesus right now, but we feel his presence. We don't see the Holy Spirit, but we see him working in people's lives. And we know about faith. We know about Jesus. We know about heaven because we believe in all these other things. So I bring all this up because we have amazing faith that we're beginning with. We're believing that God can do awesome things because if we believe that God is real, if we believe that he exists and to do all these awesome things and God can do stuff through us, then that means he can use our weaknesses 
to bless other people. You look at Andy, for instance. Andy has talked about this a ton of times when he first started running community groups in his home. He would hide in the closet because he was an extreme extrovert, introvert, sorry. Now he's a crazy extrovert. I don't know how that happened, but anyways, he was an extreme introvert, scared to death of people, and God used his weakness to now where he's actually pastoring a church. You know, God uses our weakness, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through our story today. Courtney's going to share on her side. I'm going to give you guys kind of a synopsis, a real quick, oh, I've got plenty of time, good, a real quick snapshot of what God has done in us ever since we got married until today. So let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, that we get to come, we get to hear from you. And God, I just ask right now that you would stir each and every one of our hearts. Father, open our hearts, reveal to us our weaknesses. And Father, today I ask that you would just start to remove them and start to strengthen us in these areas, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Courtney and I got married really young. We had a five-year plan. Someone say five-year plan. Okay, how many married people had had a five-year plan when you first got married? You were going to do this, you were going to do this, you were going to do this, you were going to do this. You had goals, right? So our first year anniversary comes, and Courtney goes into labor with our first kid. Not part of our five-year plan. <laughs> we love Samuel. Samuel's the best thing. I wouldn't train it in the world. So we have our first kid 13 months later. Out comes Silas. Two years later, Adelie comes. And so our five-year plan consisted of three kids in four years. And having to try to figure out how to make ends meet, we both went to Bible college. I went for a year. She went for six months because the time we got her in, she was pregnant with Samuel, super sick, couldn't go to class. And then somehow, we don't know how this happened, but she got pregnant with Silas. And then, you know, it just went on from there. So we're trying to make ends meet. I'm working at Papa Murphy's Pizza, and I work my way up to become the manager, okay? And the manager at Papa Murphy's makes this huge salary of $23,000 a year. And you get all the free pizza you want, and you get to hire and fire all these people. Well, what they don't tell you is that they're going to put you into the store in Vancouver on Hazelda in Hazeldale on Highway 99, which is the nastiest store that they own. So Courtney and I, we got these kids. We're staying late and having to clean the store up because we're like, eventually we're going to get a health inspection. It's going to be bad. It's going to be nasty. And it's just, we're going to fail. So we spent all this hour scrubbing these walls and doing all this stuff, making a ton of money. And all of a sudden, we get this, the, the place looking beautiful and everything. We have a, a, a health inspection like a week later, and we get 100% on it. We're like, sweet, that's awesome. No bonus, nothing for turning this thing around. But so we don't make much money. Courtney's at home raising the kids because it costs more money to put the kids in daycare than it is for us to, for her to have a job. So 2007 rolls around, 2008 rolls around, all of a sudden the economy starts crashing. At this time, I've started my own um, 
handyman business. There it is. I was trying to remember what it was called. Started my own handyman business in 2007. Not very bright. 2008 rolls around, and everything gets wiped out. All the big-time builders aren't building new homes anymore. Now they drop down to remodels and handyman stuff, push all the little guys out because they got to make, make money. So two months, no income, trying everything that we can. We're pushing, we're scrounging. I'm doing all the marketing stuff I can. I'm doing, we're making flyers. And then we ran out of money to make flyers. So then we just started knocking on doors, trying everything we can. And nobody wanted to spend money because everybody was freaked out. We move into this house that we ended up nicknaming the mouse house because my wife wanted a brick house. And you see up in Washington, there's not many brick houses. It's not like down here, like every house is a brick house. So we find this house. We didn't know it, was, it came with pets. And so we, get, so we move in. We move into this house and it was gorgeous. It's brick all the way around. It's a nice hardwood floor. It's got a huge yard, and we're like, this is perfect for the kids. They can run around and everything. And a week into this house, we start opening up the cabinets in the morning to make breakfast, and there's droppings in our pots and pans. We're like, okay, that's not right. And then we start pulling out the silverware drawers, and there's droppings in the silverware drawers. And then we get into the upper cabinets where we had like cereal boxes and everything. There's holes chewed through them. There's droppings up there. So we're like, this is great. We've got this beautiful house that is full of mice. So we're like, no problem. Let's get an exterminator. So we call, we have one come out and he starts laughing and he's like, he's like, your house is so infested. It would be better just to blow this thing up and rebuild it. He's like, there's nothing we can do for you. So we have this house that is my wife's dream house, and we can't even use the kitchen. So we have all this silverware stacked on top of the microwave, and we got all this stuff kind of all over the house where mice couldn't get it. And so we're in the middle of this, have no money. We just signed this lease like three months prior, so we can't break the lease and get out of it, and because there's nowhere else to live. <laughs> It was great. So then, on top of that, there ends up being a church plant team that is deciding and putting into works, moving to Spokane to start a church. And so we sat there and we're like, you know, let's pray about it. Let's see what happens. Nothing's going good for us here. Let's just pray, see what God's got. Okay, so in the midst of all this craziness, in the midst of all this chaos, we're just like, God, what do you want to do? So we talked to the pastors, and they're like, yeah, you know, why don't you drive out? Why don't you check it out, take a look? And so we drive out there, and I grew up in Spokane. And so I told my wife, when we crest the hill, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. And Spokane is one of these cities where, you know, when you're driving across the state, it goes from the West Coast where there's all these mountains and greenery. You cross the mountains, and then it's just dirt, and it's flat for six hours. And as soon as you get to Spokane, you crest this little hill and you look down and all of a sudden there's this massive city in the valley and all these mountains surrounding it. It's the coolest thing ever. So, we're, of course, we drive into there and we're like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to plan. We're going go to we'll go to Spokane. So we're like, great, now we got to find jobs. It's 2008. 
nobody's hiring. We have no money to move. We have no money to do anything. God's telling us to go. My wife, who hasn't had a job in about three years at this time, decides, you know what? I'm gonna throw one resume out and see what happens. Throws out a resume in Spokane. These people read it, get super excited about her. They call her up and do a phone interview. And they're like, you know what? We really want you to come back out to Spokane. We wanna have a second interview in person, get you to know the team. And she's super excited and starts bawling at the same time. I'm like, what's, and I don't know what's going on on the other side of the phone. And she goes, they offered me a, a second interview. And then starts crying. And I'm like, well, why are you crying? She goes, I don't have a, a professional outfit that doesn't have spit up on it to go to an interview. We don't have money for a hotel. And we don't have money to drive out there. So we both sit there and we go, oh, man, what, how are we going to do this? We're like, God, you, we, you, we feel you're leading this way. So then all of a sudden, we start to pray. Within a couple of days, somebody comes up to my wife and says, hey, I want to buy you an outfit for your interview. Somebody else comes up to us and says, hey, we've got some friends named the Tuttles that live in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. They want you to stay with them for the night. All you got to do is drive 50 miles past Spokane and you got a free place to stay. And then somebody else came and gave us a $100 bill and said, here is your gas and your food for getting there and getting back. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how is this happening? God, you must be doing something. So we're like, all right, great. It's my wife's job. I could be the stay-at-home dad, I guess. So we get, to, we get to Spokane, and we start to go through the whole interview process. My wife goes upstairs. I'm sitting in the, in the car with my shirt turned inside out, because it's what we did with our sweatshirts back then, had the fuzzy side out, had my driving pants on, I have like a food stain on my shirt, and I had my portable DVD player watching a movie, because we didn't have iTunes back then, we didn't have cell phones like this, we didn't have any of that, we were roughing it, you know. So anyways, all of a sudden, this old lady comes and knocks on the window, goes, and I look out the window, and she goes, are you Donnie? Yeah, I'm Donnie. She goes, hey, can you come inside? Doesn't tell me why. I'm like, okay. So I follow her upstairs. We get in there and said, we offered your wife a job, and we found out that you're a handyman. And we want to hire you too. It was an apartment community that had 30 different communities. And off of one resume that my wife sends out, we both land jobs. And then get this, on top of that, they say on top of your salary... We're going to give you a brand new two-bedroom apartment to live in that's just got built. We're going to pay your electric bill. We're going to pay your water, sewer, and garbage. We're going to pay your cable bill. And all you got to do is move out here. So we get super excited. We're like, yes, God's doing something. It's great. And, you know, in those moments when God is doing something, it's really easy for that faith to build up. You start seeing stuff like this. Well, we start driving home. We get halfway there. And all of a sudden, reality hits. We have no money to move out to Spokane. We have no money to rent a U-Haul truck. <laughs> How are we going to get out of a, a lease that we're paying $1,000 a month for that we don't have the money to pay this month's rent on? How are we going to do this? 
So my wife says, you know what, let's pray again. So we pray again. I remember we pull over. We're going down Highway 14. It's this real windy, crazy curve. There's this gas station in the dark that's like out of nowhere. We pull over, and we pray, and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to call the landlord right now. So I call him up, and I say, hey, we just got job offers to move to Spokane. I know that we're in a lease. Is there anything you can do for us? And he says, he goes, tell you what, I'm going to break your lease. You get the house cleaned up, ready to go for someone else to rent it, and I'll give you your deposit back too. We're three months into a one-year lease. And he's like, no problem, just do it. So we're like, great, awesome, we've got this money and this. And all of a sudden, family and friends started getting around us, start packing us up. We moved to Spokane. We get inside the brand-new apartment. Okay, we went from an 1,800, 1,900-square-foot, nice rancher house with pets. And we get to Spokane, and this two-bedroom apartment was, what, 600 square feet, Maybe. And you would have thought we were walking into the Taj Mahal. We walk in, and all you smell is fresh paint. You look at the carpets, they've never been walked on. We go to the kitchen, first thing we did is we opened the cabinets, and we're like, all right, this one doesn't come with pets, we're good. But so God started blessing us in our weakness, our weaknesses at that time where we had no money. We were broke as a joke, but we had faith that God was going to do something. You fast forward to where we came to Texas. Andy and Carrie hit us up, and they go, hey, we are going to start a church in Texas. We want you guys to come. We're like, that's awesome. That's sweet. We're going to send you money. My kids are teenagers at this time. Like, they're not going to want to leave their friends. They're not going to want to do that. We'll bless you guys. You know, let us know how we can pray. You have fun. You go be you. And then... Carrie decides to have a 40th birthday party in Texas and invites my wife. And my wife tried to get out of it first. She's like, well, I don't have any money to buy a ticket. And then she goes, oh, I'll buy your ticket. It's okay. You can just, just come. Just come hang out and party with us. So they come down, and my wife comes back, and she goes, now, I'm not saying that we're going. <sighs> but we should pray about it. And I go, okay, I got the answer for this. I go, I'm going to tell the kids. The kids are going to say no, and then that will be the end of it. Kids don't want to move. So I, we sit down with, the, with all four kids. Elizabeth was with us at the time. And we sit down, and we're like, hey, guys, do you want to move to Austin, Texas? Didn't even tell them it was for a church plant or anything. They all like, yeah, that would be so awesome. I'm like, what is the matter with you? <laughs> like, what about your friends? And they're like, oh, we can Facebook them. We just... We sit in the same room and look at each other on the phone anyway. So it's like, okay, I guess that works. So then we're like, okay, we really need to pray about this. So we start to pray, and God is starting to stir it up us again. We're like, all right, another church plant. Here we go. This time, instead of across state, it's across country. And we made just enough money to make it at this time, you know, but it wasn't really going to be there. So this time we have six months of planning ahead of time. So we're like, I can start sending resumes this time. My wife sent one. She landed the first one. I surely could get a job soon. Gave my boss like a six-month notice. Nobody does that. And I told him, I said, hey, I'm moving in April. I'm moving in April. And I said it, and this was in September. I said, I'm moving in April. I'll train, help train somebody, get them ready, however you want to do it. 
and I'm throwing resumes out and resume, 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 and getting turned down on every single job. And then finally, I talk to somebody down here, and they're like, hey, unless you work in, or live in Texas, they're not going to give you a job, especially in the construction side because they do things different here. So I was like, oh, man, okay. So then our plan was, all right, April 16th, I'm going to jump in a car. I'm going to drive to Spokane or Austin, Texas. I'm going to start Ubering until I find a job. I'll get us a house in June as soon as school is out that next day. Regardless, you're jumping in a U-Haul and you're driving down here. So we're like, all right, here we go. I don't have any money to drive to Texas. <laughs> so my, my wife's uncle, Mike, hits us up and he has this old beater truck that, I mean, you had to like push start the thing. It was so old. And he goes, well, tell you what, if you sell it, if you can sell it, you can just ha- use the money to go down there. And I'm like, someone's going to pay like $300 for this thing. So I was like, heck with it. I'm going to throw it up for 700 bucks and see what happens. Next day, somebody calls and says, hey, I'm looking for a truck that I can use as a, as a, a project truck with my kid. And you want 700 Here, I'll give you 700 for it. This was the day before I'm supposed to leave because we said no matter what I'm leaving, if I get stuck, I get stuck halfway here with no money, then God's going to have to make it work. We challenged God in every step of the way. We're like, if you're telling us to go, we're going to get there. So I get this money, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually going to be able to pay cash the whole way down. Pulling a U-Haul trailer in the Honda Pilot. I get down here, move into Andy's house, and I'm like, all right. She'll only be a week or two. She'll be good to go. Two months go by. I'm still Ubering 14 hours a day. And then on the times that I can't Uber because I've, I've clocked out, went too long, they make you stop. I'm throwing resumes out, making phone calls and all this. I'm talking to Courtney Knightley. Hey, ain't got the job yet. I'm Ubering, making $200 a day right now. We'll we'll make it work. And then all of a sudden, we get to June. Still no job. Still no house. I start looking for more houses, and they, they look and they say, well, this money you're making for Uber, it doesn't really count as income. So I'm like, I got my wife moving down here. I don't have a house for them to move into. I don't have a job. I have Uber. This is a problem. So then we start praying more. And Carrie at this time finally moves in. And so I'm living at the house with Andy, Carrie, and Cammie, and Jackson. And, and yeah, and Grandma was there too. And we would have conversations well, a week, two weeks ahead of time. And I just felt like God told me while we were there, I am going to put you in a house. You'll have a house ready before they get here. I'm like, I don't even have a job. I can't get a house. Okay, we're going to make it work. So Heidi would come out. Carrie would come out in the morning. We'd see each other kind of in passing, and then I'm out the door. And uh, Carrie's like, so how's it going? How's the house? I'm like, it's coming. I'll, I'll have one. I will have a job. I will have a house before they get down here. She's like, okay. We get closer and closer, nothing. Finally, I'm out Ubering, and somebody gives me a call and says, hey, I saw your resume two months ago. And it just came across my desk again. And I decided I want to have, bring you in for an interview, land the interview, land the job. Like, sweet, cross that one off the list. Now I have a week to find a house. And if you know what it's like trying to find a house, it takes longer than a week to move into a rental house. 
you have paperwork, you have money, you have this, you have that, people got to move out. Well, we were working with our realtor friend, and all of a sudden, this house just opened up. And she's like, hey, I didn't even tell you about this house because I, I was getting dropped off at my car. She goes, I got one more that just came in. Let's go look at it. So we go look at it, four-bedroom house right down the street from our friends, Jesse and Sheila. I'm like, oh, my God, this is perfect. Great. Sign it real quick. Here's my, my proof that I got a job. Here's this, here's this, here's this. We're doing DocuSign as they're driving down. They pull into Texas on the night before we get to move into the house. So we, they got here late. We stayed in a hotel that very next morning. We're moving all of our stuff in. Now, I say all that because sometimes, you know, when we face these kind of weaknesses when we are, or issues or things that stop us from moving forward with what God wants to do, we give up. Sometimes we use our weaknesses as a crutch or we use it as an excuse to not move forward and get out on that edge where God is calling us to get to. You know, and I was always the optimistic guy. Courtney was always more of the pessimistic one. And we always ended up meeting in the middle. But what would happen is we'd get out to the edge and God would meet us there. And that's what he does with you guys. That's what he wants to do. That's how he moves forward. What is that? That's one of yours? Okay. Anyways, last verse, and I'm going to pass this over to Courtney. Um, Isaiah chapter 6. It's uh, verses 1 through 8. There it is. Whoops, that's Jeremiah. We don't want Jeremiah. All right, Isaiah chapter 6. Okay, it's a little, it's not that long. So, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, two covering their faces, two covering their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, 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 is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The one of the seraphim flew, then one of the seraphim flew, with, flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. You know, God is he's calling all of us out to do something great. He's calling all of us out to do something great, something awesome, something mighty for him. And we have a decision that we have to make. We either say, okay, God, I will do what you want me to do. I will get out on that edge. I will, no matter how scary it is, no matter how worrisome it is, I'll get out there. You know, maybe God's not calling you across state to start a church. Maybe he's not calling you across country to start a church. But maybe God is calling you across the street to your neighbor. 
Maybe God is calling you to that friend, that kid in high school or in junior high that is the total reject, that is the nerdiest kid, that is the one that nobody wants to hang out with. Maybe God is calling you to that person to befriend them, to show their, your love, to show God's love to them so that they come to know him. You know, and we have to make a decision when it comes to our weaknesses. Anxiety is a big thing. You know, my wife, she's, had, she's dealt with anxiety most of her life. And it's crazy. She probably might get into this. I don't know. But there's other things that people deal with. There's a lot of anxiety problems. There's a lot of depression. There's, well, Donnie, I'm an introvert. I don't like to talk to people. I'm scared to death to talk to people. Well, you know what? When we step out and we say, all right, God, I'm weak in this. I can't talk to people. Help me. Guess what? You walk up to that first person. You're, you might be shaking like this. You might be hiding in a closet like Andy was. But what I've found out is the people that are the most quiet are the ones that end up being the best listeners. And they have the most wisdom. So some of you here, maybe you're an introvert. Maybe you're an, a, a complete extrovert. And your weakness is you don't know how to be quiet. It's true, man. I used to be that way. I still am a little bit. My wife will start telling me something, and I'm like, hey, well, this is what you should do. It's like, no, Donnie, shut up. Just listen to the woman. It's hard. But it's a weakness. And, but when we give God our weaknesses, when we lay them down at his feet, because we already know that God is going to do great things. We already know it. So when we lay it down, we say, God... Meet me here. I'm on the edge. What do you want me to do? And then you hear that, smil- that still small voice whisper like we said earlier. And you're like, okay, God, I'll do it. You know, maybe it's a worship team. I'm always plugging worship team because you know, I'm always looking for instrumentalists. But maybe God is saying, you know what? It's time to pick up that guitar. Maybe God is saying, you know what? I'd like to, I'd like to greet people at the front door. But I'm a little shy. <laughs> Greeting people is the fastest way to get over shyness real quick. Maybe it's at the, being at the info booth. Maybe it's helping like what Matt did with this um, open mic night, doing events and stuff like this. Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's something great. But it starts with us just saying, God, have your way. Do what you want with me. I'm all yours. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do what you tell me to do, and I'll say what you want me to say. Amen? Amen. Come on up, Court. Oh, you got that one. She got props. Awesome. Thank you so much, babe. Yeah, that the mouse house. Oh, my gosh, you guys. The stories I could tell about that place. Oh, we used to, we finally resorted to keeping our silverware, like, inside of Ziploc bags. We couldn't just have it in the silverware divider in the drawer because every morning there would be fresh, like, mouse poop and droppings all over it and stuff. And all of our um, pantry items we had to keep in the refrigerator because it was the only place like we couldn't afford nice like Tupperware to put our cereal and stuff in you know like those like cereal containers so we had to keep and like it didn't matter like boxes of Nutrigrain wrappers that would be like wrapped they'd just 
it would just be gone, like, and full of poop. So we'd have to keep everything in the refrigerator. It was, they'd crawl across our face at night while we were sleeping. <laughs> like, it was so bad. <laughs> when he talked about it came with pets. Like, and seriously, we did. We had an exterminator come out to that house, and he comes out, and he walks around, and he's just like, I can't do anything for you. <laughs> it was great. Oh, we loved it. Yes. So our brand-new, shiny apartment, we walked in, and we were like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. This is absolutely amazing. All right. Well, um, so I'm going to continue on with this theme of knowing Jesus through our weakness. As you kind of see behind me, I have that slide up there. And just so you know, uh, slide people, I'll let you know when to go ahead and change it over because I only have a few. So I'll give you the thumbs up. All right. So how many of you guys have heard this phrase before behind me? God will never give you anything more than what you can handle right? Yeah. They especially, like, this is a big one, especially, like, for moms when they're right in that season where their kids are driving them absolutely crazy and they're losing their sanity. And I know I heard that so much when I had three toddlers and didn't know what to do with them because I was too young to be having kids in the first place. And, like, they were driving me nuts. And, you know, very well-meaning people would, like, pat my hand and say, oh, honey, God will never give you anything more than you can handle. I'm like, he did. <laughs> he did, though. Oh, I can't handle that. So, yeah, it is absolutely a, lord of, uh, a load of horse poo. Uh, first, it's not anywhere in the Bible. Like, where did we even get this phrase from? It doesn't exist in Scripture. But you know what does exist in Scripture is story after story of God giving circumstances to people that were more than what they could handle. It was just cover to cover. The whole Bible is full of nothing but that. All right, you can go on to the next one. So let's take a look at some of the people who, and this is just a very small sampling, of people who did get more than they could handle. Could Moses, a wanted murderer with a speech impediment, actually handle rescuing the Israelites from Egypt? Was that something that, I mean, did God look down on him and say, yeah, you could probably do that. Like, I feel like you're capable. I'm going to task you with this. No, no way. Um, how about Gideon? Was he able to handle fighting off the entire Midianite people who were oppressing the Israelites? No, he wasn't qualified for that. When God sent his angel down to call Gideon and say, hey, mighty warrior, when he was sitting at the lake, Gideon was like, where? <laughs> you know, he didn't believe that he was capable of anything like that, and he wasn't. Could David, a shepherd child who was not even old enough to enlist in the army at that time, and his occupation was hanging out with sheep, is he actually capable of taking down Goliath and being the greatest military strategist that Israel had ever seen? No, he wasn't capable of that. How about Esther? Could she handle having sole responsibility from saving her people from massacre? Nope. She didn't have experience in massacre people saving. I'm sure there's an official word for that. How about a bunch of illiterate fishermen? Could they handle being responsible and being tasked to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to start God's church? No. They weren't capable of that. Every single story of everything that happened in this book that people did for God are really stories of God at work 
through people, doing not what they could handle, but what he could handle. But what would it have been like if all of these characters were only ever able to see through the lens of what they were not? Have your guises, what I'm not, ever held you back from something? Think about when have your what I'm not held you back from something? Maybe from joy or from chasing your dreams or from certain ministries? I know I have a lot of what I'm not. And they've definitely held me back from a lot of things in my life. I'm actually going to ask my son to come on up. He's going to be my, my dummy. He's, he's going to represent me. Go ahead and have a seat here, honey. I was going to get a blow-up doll for this, but then I looked him up on Amazon. That was a mistake. <laughs> hey, y'all. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give you guys a small little sampling of some of my personal what I'm not. All right, so first one, my label, is I'm weird. I'm just, I'm weird. I am, I am socially awkward. Is that going to stick? That's my hair. No, because you're sweaty. Here. That's just hair. There we go. I am super socially awkward, you guys. I have no filter. It's a little bit easier when I'm up here because, like, I prepared something, and then I read through it, and I'll be like, I got to cut that out. That's not appropriate. I got to cut that out. But when you're talking to me in real life, and those of you that know me that hang out with me, you're like, overshare much. Okay, wow. If you ask her how her day is going, she's going to tell you how her day is going. There's no holding back that stuff. All right, yeah, I, I kick myself so much. I go to bed at night, and all I can think of was, I said that? Oh, my God. I'm so stupid. Kicking myself all the time. I remember this one time when we were in Spokane, and we're, we're sitting around at the table with um, all these pastors, and these are like great men of the faith, you know, or, you know, I put people on a pedestal back then. That was so unnecessary, but all these people that I just admired so much, you know, because they were like super spiritual and all this stuff. And I just felt so like honored to be at the table with all these like really, really pastory pastors. And they start making fun of this kid that we all knew that was in one of the churches. And they're making fun of him because this kid's weird. And they're telling stories and, and laughing about this kid's awkwardness and weirdness and things that he said. And then they would all laugh and everybody at the table was laughing. And all I could do was just sit there and just shrink and just in horror and think, oh, my God, I'm weird. Like, I say and do weird things like that. And is that what people say about me behind my back? And what I'm not around, is this what people say about, like, Courtney's awkwardness and Courtney's weirdness? And it just absolutely broke my heart and made me so self-conscious that I didn't feel like I could say anything around people anymore. You know, people would be like, hey, how's it going? And be like, hmm, hmm, thanks. And just run off and hide because I didn't want to give them anything that they were going to one day sit around a table and talk about me about. All right, next I have what I like to call the holy sped trinity. 
I am dyslexic. I have ADHD and dyspraxia, which means that I can't hold a pencil. Anybody here cannot hold a pencil correctly? That made kindergarten fun. So all throughout my school, I was convinced, really up until I was 30, I believed, 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 believed with every fiber of my being. I didn't just believe it. I knew that I was stupid. I just knew it. My entire school days were all spent sitting around watching the light bulb go on for all of my peers whenever they just like magically, like with fairy dust, somehow understood what was being taught to them and wonder, why not me? Like, why don't I get it? Like, everybody raises their hand because they have the right answer when the teacher calls on them. Like, how people turn in homework, you, you just like, you go home and you sit down with your assignment and you know the answers, so you write all the answers down on the worksheet and you bring it back the next day and just hand it in like, like how? Like what, what even is that? I couldn't even wrap my brain around it. So the only logical conclusion was that I'm stupid. And that was even reinforced by some teachers in my years told me that I was stupid. And so I have believed for a long time that I was stupid. Um, so speaking of dyslexia, uh, have you guys ever heard the one about the dyslexic that walked into a bra? That's one of my favorites. I've got tons. If you ever want a good dyslexia joke, come find me. And yes, I can't spell it, but I have it. All right. So my next one on the list, Donnie touched on this a lot, which is really great, is that I got married at the old, old age of 17 years old. Yes. Holy moly. I know, right? Yes. And so, uh, no, I'll just keep putting them on there. And so my husband was, um, he was in his early 20s, I was 17, we had this grand plan uh, that he was going to work while I went to college and finish my um, degree in theology, and then I was going to work while he went back and finished his degree, and then we would both take our degrees and go find some big church where we could like jump on staff somewhere and then start having kids, you know, and then three months after we get married, which we got married over my spring break in high school, so three months after we got married, boom, I'm pregnant. It did not work out that way. But as you can imagine, all the uh, lucrative jobs that are available out there to, you know, a 17-year-old mom and a couple with no college education whatsoever and kids at home. So we're not exactly going to be gracing the cover of Forbes magazine anytime soon. But there were times when a lot of it was even worse than that. So that became one of my labels. I was poor. Definitely poor, man. And there were days when, you know, I'd be hot gluing my kids' shoes together, even up until just a couple years ago. Um, and now we're, yeah, Silas is like, mm-hmm, yeah. Now we're incredibly blessed because we have uh, uh, some friends who have given my kids some amazing shoes over the last couple years that, like, they could have never afforded in their whole entire life. And so they feel like every time they put their feet in them, like, they're just kings. It's super cool. But up until then, yeah, I would go to Payless, which just went out of business, and when those would start coming apart at the seams or the soles would fall off, I would hot glue them or find whatever kind of construction glue my husband had out in the garage and try and hold the shoes together and as long as possible until they wouldn't fit the kids anymore. But yeah, poor. That was one of my what I'm nots. Um, also, uneducated. 
So not only did I struggle through high school and everything, but I didn't have a college degree. And it makes me feel really self-conscious around people who do have college degrees. So there was one time at my job in Spokane, I was the communications director for a pregnancy resource center. It was this really large resource center. So we had like a full medical clinic, women's health clinic. We had maternity home, um, foster uh, care placement programs, education, all kinds of things. It was a really big outfit. And uh, they wanted, Whitworth University wanted a representative from our organization to come and speak on a panel about uh, sexual health and pregnancy, unplanned pregnancy, all kinds of things. And they were going to have all their experts. So I get there, and I, you know, that was my job, even though I didn't have a degree in it. So I was the one chosen to go represent our organization on this panel. And I walk into this big hall that, you know, seats like two or 300 students, and down on the floor is the table with all the panels, and I'm looking at all the names, and there were six of us, and it was so-and-so PhD, so-and-so doctor, so-and-so doctor, so-and-so MD. And then I get to the end, and it was Courtney Snalem, blank. And I was like... Okay, no pressure, like, <laughs> all right, this is not intimidating at all, but yeah, it's uneducated, that's just was one of the labels that I wore, and then also, uh, going back to being kind of weird, not fitting in is really one of the labels that I've struggled with a lot, because I'm not, I'm not going to give you a paper cut, honey, we'll just pat your tummy, there, he's a good boy. I'm not a girly girl. Like, this is as dressed up as I get. Like, this shirt's not a Star Trek t-shirt. So, you guys, I really pulled out all the stops for you this morning. You should, should be very pleased. You know, I don't like makeup or hair things. I don't do crafts. I don't, you know, so when women get together and I'm like, I don't even, like, I don't even know how to talk. Like, what do we even talk about? I don't. I don't have anything to offer in this exchange and in this back and forth. And so I always kind of felt like I was just this weird girl on the outside looking in, like wondering what it would be like to just fit in and not feel so strange and bizarre all the time. All right, it's labels like these that would really be enough to sink anyone. So it's clear why I would believe that I wouldn't amount to anything or accomplish anything or make a difference in this world. But thank God that he has a completely different set of labels for us. Here's just a few of the labels from God's list. Go ahead and put that next slide up. All right, so this is kind of a, a longer list than what I'm going to go through today, but I'm just going to give you guys a couple of these. So Ephesians 2.10, I am God's masterpiece. So when I have weird up here, we're just going to take that down. We're going to replace that with masterpiece. Yes. Next. I'm not disabled learning disabilities, whatever, that's fine. Oops, they're all stuck together now. I didn't plan this out too well. Not disabled. I am Christ's ambassador, according to 2 Corinthians 5.20. All right, so I may think poor because I was hot gluing shoes together and you know, trying to find creative ways to 
to survive, you know, cutting my kids' hair and trying to cut my husband's hair and making things and just trying to get by. But I am an heir with Christ. And every single time that I was gluing shoes or doing whatever, I was blessed because God calls me his heir. And just the joy and the peace and the love that was in our home is not something that money could ever buy. I am incredibly blessed and all these years have been so amazingly thankful for the home and the family that God has given us. All right, next uneducated? Nope, doesn't matter because, you know what, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Everything that he has called me to do, including the job I have now, which is as a long-term sub, that is a really difficult job, especially, you know, with some of the things that I struggle with. And there are times when, you know, I don't want the kids to know some of my, you know, certain deficiencies or disabilities and so I'll wait until all the kids are out of the classroom because I don't want them to know like I can't spell especially when I sub for English this year like I cannot spell anything so when I had to write something on the board like even the plan of what the agenda was for today or what their assignments were going to be I would wait until everybody was out of the classroom and then I'd get my phone out and I would have to copy the words directly from my phone and then double check to make sure that everything was spelled right because I didn't want them to know that I couldn't spell but God still made it all work and made a way for it to happen because it was his strength working through me that enables me to take that information, to learn it somehow. I couldn't even learn in school myself and then pass it back along to students who still somehow, in spite of having a teacher for several months or months on end that's not educated, are able to do super well, to pass all their tests, to actually perform better than a lot of them do when their regular teachers are there. And I go back and I was like, I, it's not me, it's the Lord, because I don't have what it takes to get that to happen. That is 100% on God. And then not fitting in. It's replaced with, I am adopted. He calls me his child. I fit in with God, the king of the whole universe. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm fitting in with people because God loves me for just who I am and accepts me and calls me. And he actually made me the crazy weirdo that I am. And he loves it. I love to joke with people that, you know, my husband is one of the kindest, nicest, just most gentle people you'll ever meet. And he brought that into our family and into our kids. And I brought into my kids neurodivergence. And so between the two of us, we've kind of created this small army of really tender weirdos. And we absolutely just, we wouldn't have it any other way. We love it. But the work of the cross did not just make a way for our salvation, you guys. It is so much more than its impact on eternity the work of the cross allows us to trade in our labels for his labels and then walk in the confidence of who he made us and how he sees us. All right, and I'm going to leave you with this last verse today from 2 Corinthians 12:9. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. All right, that's all, you guys. Thank you. All right, I'm going to hand it. I, this Jenna. All right, I'm going to hand this back to Jenna. Thanks, Jenna. 
take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com slash give.